Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan. Thinking back to our history classes growing up, we had one question. Where are the ladies at? Enter Encyclopedia Womanica. In just five minutes a day, learn about the trials, tragedies, and triumphs of groundbreaking women from antiquity to modernity. Every weekday, we're highlighting a different woman who you may or may not know about, but definitely should. Tune into Encyclopedia Womanica for a daily dose of stories, human moments, and historical breakthroughs. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Take a second to think about all the people you know. Friends, family, partners, co-workers, mentors, etc. Now think about all the people that they know. And then all the people that those people know. It all forms a bustling, complicated, interconnected web. Welcome to Web of Women, the show that dives into the identities and relationships that form who we are as individuals and communities. I'm your host, Jenny Kaplan, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Wonder Media Network. Each episode of Web of Women will be an interview. I'll kick things off by interviewing someone I know. Then, my connection will pick someone from her web of connections and interview her. Then that person will pick someone she wants to interview. For this first season, I'm starting four mini-webs by talking to four women with whom I have different relationships. For this first one, I kept it easy. I picked one of my closest friends, Sosie Bacon. Sosie and I first met in the fall of 2010. We were freshmen at Brown University and auditioned for and joined the same acapella group. Our friendship has always been easy, whether we were living together or on opposite coasts. As you'll hear, our paths diverged midway through college. Sosie headed west to pursue a career in acting and I finished school and then moved to New York to become a journalist. We remained long-distance friends until I moved to L.A. for a stint a couple years ago. Our collaboration has evolved from the singing kind to the professional. We've got a fictional podcast in the works. Now that you know a little bit more about where we're coming from, let's get to it. (gasps) Hello? Hello? Wait, let me sit somewhere. Okay, so first of all, where are you? I'm at my house in Los Angeles, um, and it's raining here, which is amazing. It never rains here, and we desperately need it. Um, And I'm sitting at my kitchen table looking at the rain, which is nice. I've had coffee, so I'm feeling alert. (laughs) And I'm here from my parents' house in Greensboro, North Carolina, Okay, so let's start from the beginning. Tell me your story in a brief manner. Give me your okay. give me your sitch. <laughs> okay, so um 
I grew up in New York with my parents and my brother. As childhoods go, I had a good one. <laughs> um, I have a big family. Most of the people in my family are artists. And, you know, I grew up in Manhattan, which is kind of like a pretty small bubble, although I obviously am ex was exposed to a lot, but it's still kind of a, a little world. And my parents are actors, so I think from a very young age, I was sort of convinced by my environment and by them and by just my own feelings that I wasn't going to act and I wasn't going to be an actor. And I was going to do something else, even though I like loved being in plays and musicals and acting. I just had made a decision. And sort of, I think when you make a decision when you're little, it takes a little while to like extract that from your psyche. So um, I went to college for a couple of years and I wasn't acting and I wasn't performing at all. And I just sort of felt aimless and directionless. And I think that those two years of aimlessness sort of led me to realize that I, I wanted to act and that's what I wanted to do as my profession. And I started letting go of that story. I had sort of told myself over the years of like, I'm going to do something different. I'm not going to try to be successful in this thing that my parents are successful in. And so uh, I ended up leaving college, which was a good decision for me, and going to New York. And I did a kind of musical review play kind of thing. And then uh, about a year later, I drove out to L.A. and just decided to kind of have a fresh start, start my career here, start working on building myself up as an actor out here because I felt like there was more opportunities or something. I don't know. I also think I just needed to get away from the East Coast because there was a lot of like just memories and people I knew. And I just kind of wanted a fresh start. So I came out here and, um, I've been here for six years, basically just figuring that out and figuring out how to make that work. And I mean, I can get into all that, but that's kind of a overview. Yeah. First of all, I guess I should rewind to say that we met in college. That's when we first became friends. Yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. Which seems like 1,000 years ago now, but... Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was 1,000 years ago. So you really didn't want to be an actor, you thought, when you were a mm -hmm. kid. So what did you want to be? I loved, like, people and communications with people. And, I oh, when I was really little, I wanted to be a tightrope walker, which is just so funny. Like, <laughs> it's such a funny profession. My parents were like, okay, like, do you want to go try to, like, type? tightrope walk. And I was like, no, I just want to be like in the circus. And, and it never, obviously nothing ever came of it, obviously. <laughs> but I don't know that I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I think once I got to college, I sort of start, and this is sort of the path I think of a lot of people that resist acting at first is you kind of want to be like a social worker or a therapist or some sort of a person who does good in the world. Because, you know, strangely enough, as actors, you you do sort of also have that desire, I think, because you have empathy um, and a lot of, but not every actor. I mean, let's be real, but there are a lot of actors that have that desire, I think, because you love communicating with people and you love watching people and you love listening and experiencing people's personalities and dissecting them and understanding them. So I think that's what I wanted to do theoretically, but it just, it wasn't something that pulled me or called to me in the same way. And I do a lot of teaching now with, with kids and in LA, particularly formerly incarcerated youth or, or 
you know, system impacted youth. And it means so much to me to work with them and to work with other people because I feel like I'm fulfilling that side of me, that sort of need to advise and learn things from people and communicate. So it still is a part of my life. It's just not my job. (laughs) Totally. I mean, I think that the reason why I was driven to start this business and the reason why I think was initially wanted to go into journalism to begin with was because I feel so passionately about storytelling and the impact that storytelling can have on the world to mm-hmm. enact change. Um, and so I think that that's also true of acting and that's true of those other professions is that you have to have such a level of empathy in order to play roles well. And like, you have to really try to understand people who are different from you to tell those stories like convincingly and then totally change people's minds about things or like have people think differently. Cause that's what makes compelling content. I think generally when you're either like seeing something that really feels close to your reality or something that's like wildly different, but is still interesting. Yeah. And still, uh, makes you feel something and yeah. still makes you feel. Yeah. Because I, I totally think that's true. And I think that's part of the reason why so many actors and so many people out here are sort of liberal left leaning because it's this sense that we can see other people and not judge them for our perception of of them and sort of like understand where they're coming from with with their hearts and souls and i think that's just that it it kind of all makes sense to me of why there's so much of that here yeah so okay so if you told your parents that you wanted to be a tightrope walker when you were a kid, (laughs) when you grew up, when you think now about what do you want to do when you grow up, what do you think it is? I was thinking about, obviously, because as the year comes to an end and I never really bookend years or periods of time by, you know, months or by numbers, but I was thinking about where I started this year and like where I am now. And I came off of last year with a HBO series. I was getting paid well. I I had the one season under my belt. I thought it was going to keep going. And then it got canceled, which is what happens in this business. And I was back to what I considered square one, but what really wasn't square one. And acting wise, if I look back at this year, I've done three movies, which is huge. And also they were movies that shot for very short periods of time. So all in all over the past year, I've probably spent about 60 days actually acting, which is insane. And that's just the way that actors' lives are. You know, this is how how we live. But I gained something so much more important to me for the future, which is I've gotten into producing things. I'm starting to write things. I'm producing a scripted podcast. And quick note, this fictional podcast is something that we're hard at work on here at WMN. So stay tuned for more. Also, I should say that we spoke at the beginning of January, so the new year was still very much top of mind. We're getting that off the ground from from ground level, from zero. We're doing all of it, you know, and I'm writing my own thing. I'm working on somebody else writing something. I'm producing a short. Like, so I might not have gotten paid a great deal for acting this year. I might not have spent that many days acting. I greatly appreciate every job I have, and I'm not complaining. 
But I, I, I gained something more important, which is the ability to create content on my own. And that to me has been what this year is about. And that's what I would like to do when I grow up is have my hands in all different parts of this business. And like you said, in storytelling, and I produced a film that was cobbled together by a couple of other activists and I, that was totally written and performed by formerly incarcerated youth and system impacted youth. So it's like, I'm like, oh, hey, I didn't have very many acting jobs this year, but it's like, I I learned so much more. So that's what I want to do moving forward. I know that you are very politically engaged. When was the first time that you felt that way? When it was 2000. And how old was I? Uh, Eight. I was eight because I was born in 1992. Math. Same. Um. And my mom has always been incredibly politicized about the environment and protecting our environment. And they were really big proponents of, you know, Al Gore. And um, we went on this like trip called Bring Ohio Back. And it was a bus trip that we took with a bunch of other celebrity adults (laughs) trying to get voters to sign up to vote and basically get Ohio to go blue. And Sandra Bullock was there and um, a bunch of other people And I just remember feeling like, oh my God, this is so cool. And this is so special. And it was like such a fun week for me, just being there on the bus with all these people, staying at the hotels with my parents and going into like bowling alleys and trying to get people to register to vote. Um, And then I remember I went to the first, one of the the big pro-choice march in Washington, D.C. I went there with my best friend at the time and my mom, and we made like a like a movie on iMovie about it and like added music and edited it all together. That was probably like four, three or four years later. So those are like my first main memories of being active in the political community. I think you spoke to this a little bit, but something that I've found really interesting when I've been interviewing people now, particularly around politics. And when I was talking to many of the women who ran for the House this fall for Women Belong in the House, I thought it was really interesting to hear like how these women's political perspectives were similar or different from their parents and their families. How do your politics relate to your families? My politics are very similar to my parents, although I think that this last couple years, ever since he who shall not be named has been in office. And, you know, this new emerging women's movement has come to light and all of these things. I think being in a younger generation, I've had to form my own relationship with politics and the sort of politics that connect with me the most. And I've had to break away from just following what they think and figuring out my own opinions by reading, by talking to other activists that are my age, by understanding, I think one of the biggest things that I've started to really try to understand on my own is the way that race and racism plays into all of our lives and the way that white people are disproportionately privileged over people of color in this country and, you know, kind of recognizing my own privilege in myself and allowing it to come to light, accepting it and trying to really publicly talk about that. Because I think like 
one big problem that we have in this country is I think a lot of like white people are not willing to admit that they have a lot of privilege. And I think it causes, it doesn't make for open conversation and it doesn't help, you know? And that's something that I had to do on my own because my parents never sat there and said, you're white, so you have more privilege. You know what I mean? Like, it's something that you that you have to un- unpack on your own. And it's, I think, makes it so that my politics, they're not super different in any way, but conversations can be started that delve more deeply into those kinds of issues because I start them. They're not coming up with these conversations necessarily. When you think about all of the different places that you've lived and the different like people who you care about, who do you think about as your community or your communities? And like, how do your political views relate to those different kinds of people? It's sort of a similar answer to the last question in the sense that I'm mostly surrounded by left-leaning liberal people. I don't have a ton of friends that are conservative politically, but within that community, there's a lot of people with a lot of different opinions. And as I form my own personal, like, soci opinions about things, there are discrepancies and there's conversations and there's ways of challenging each other. And there's ways of, you know, me asking people to acknowledge their privilege and people having difficulty with that or somebody making me aware of a privilege I wasn't even aware of, you know, because a lot of times privilege can be invisible to the person that has it and very visible to the person that doesn't, you know? So there's a lot of things that I've been learning from people in my community that just have a different set of experiences than I do. You know, many of the formerly impacted youth I work with are black and brown and working with them closely makes me realize how different it has been for me in this world and in this country. And it's staggering and it's upsetting, but it's something that we need to be aware of in order to move forward with moving through this world in a way that helps everybody. So I learn a lot every day. And I feel like sometimes I teach people things about like other white people in my community. I help them understand what I've learned. So I can't say that I have a ton of friends who are really Republican. You know, I don't really, but I have a lot of different factions of people in my life that have different opinions, even though they're in this one category of like liberals, where you and I differ slightly, is that I sort of feel like you have this unbelievable ability to understand politics. Like it's in you, you know, it's your family, it's your life. And like, I've kind of really looked to you to help me understand things that I don't naturally have a tendency to understand. Like I said, my family's all artists. Like we don't really like, I don't think there's a particular like deep understanding of like the different branches of the government. You know what I mean? Like I know basic stuff, but that that's what the world you've grown up in. So I've really been able to look to you during this time where everybody's had to be an activist and everybody's had to be involved because shit is so bad Part of the reason why I wanted to do Women Belong in the House, but also I wanted to start this show and create this like web of women is to help show how different all of our relationships are to politics and policy and like community and identity and all these different things. Because the more we can talk about it in a really normal way, like we talk about many other things, the better we can make policy because politics affects all of us every day. That's a way that you and I come together in a good way because, you know, 
you can learn something from me and I have so much to learn from you in that area, you know? So that's a good example. Have you ever felt radical? Oh my gosh, radical. I mean, I think so. I think, I think radical <laughs> mostly ever since Trump was elected and just seeing his genuine feeling about people differs so greatly from mine that I can't, I, I can't imagine anybody not feeling radical right now in a strange way. I've done things that I wouldn't have considered doing when Obama was in office. You know, I drove to Tijuana on Tuesday to drop off donations for the Honduran caravan migrants who are living there in rough situations right now. And I never would have done that if Obama was in office because I never probably would have seen a reason to. I would have been like, what it's taken care of at the border, you know? And that's not necessarily true at all. We've always had challenges at the border. So in that way, I think it's really encouraged me to do a lot more than I probably would have done if Obama was in office, which is kind of sad, but it's it's true. Hi, Shira. Hi, Jenny. How's it going? Good. It's been a busy couple days. Shira is my co-founder and our CMO here at Wonder Media Network. And Shira, as you know, Skype is our exclusive sponsor for the first season of Web of Women. I do know that. It's been so fun to work with them. It has been fun. I actually recorded the interview with Sosi over Skype. And I'm wondering, how do you use Skype? Well, I mostly use Skype when I'm traveling. And I think I got in that habit because I first started to use Skype when I moved to Israel after high school. And I would talk to my parents over Skype nearly every day. That makes sense because Skype, which is a Microsoft product, enables the world's conversations. Millions of people and businesses use Skype to make free video and voice calls, whether it's between two people or with groups. And you can also use Skype to send instant messages and share files with other people. Also, it's free to download and it's easy to use. So thank you to Skype for sponsoring this first season. I should also say that while Skype facilitates having conversations like the one we're having in today's episode, that doesn't necessarily mean that Skype as a company agrees with the content of what's being said. Let's get back to my conversation with Sosie. Just thinking about other parts of like what makes us who we are, I'm interested to hear your perspectives on gender and when the first time you felt aware of gender was. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because it also is kind of wrapped up in my body politics because I'm a very big proponent of like anti-dieting, anti-fat phobia, and the fact that in this country, there's such a large industry that runs on this crippling fear of people in larger bodies. And body diversity is a real thing. There's nothing to be afraid of. People in larger bodies are healthy and happy and our society and the diet industry has made us terrified of that. And it's, um, I think, one of the biggest human rights issues we have right now is how our country treats people in larger bodies. And I think 
uh, strangely enough, my gender identity was wrapped up a lot in my body. You know, when I was little, I was really kind of, you know, small. And when I hit a certain age, I, you know, gained some weight. And at that moment, I realized I'm a girl and being smaller is better and I need to fix this. And people's reaction to my weight gain, the fear around it and people, how people felt about me based on it immediately sort of like put me in that place of like, I'm a woman. I have to be attractive. I have to be small. I have to be thin. And it sort of was like throwing a bucket of ice in my face, you know, and going like, you're a girl. This is what you're going to have to deal with. And it's so strange how that is. And then, you know, I lost weight because I got sick and the attention I got from boys, the way people treated me differently. It's like, I kind of measure being a girl and growing up based on those things, weirdly enough. And my activism and sort of like body politics that I have now, which are anti-diet, you know, liberation, body liberation, doing what you damn well please with your body and not letting anybody else police your body, et cetera, et cetera, are, I think, hugely about gender. And I'm not saying guys don't deal with the same thing because they do, but it's a different level. And it's funny how when I look back at being a girl, those things really stand out to me. And I haven't really made complete sense of it, but it's just the first thing that came to mind. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, especially in your chosen career path, I feel like it's even more highlighted, it seems like now, to me from the outside, like there's so much pressure to look certain ways in Hollywood, it seems. Um, But, Mm -hmm. but what do you think about that? Like, how do you think that gender generally, but uh, as you said, like, I think body politics go into that too. How do you think that Mm -hmm. that's affected your path and your career? Uh, Hugely. I mean, first, I just want to say, because I'm trying to get into the habit of naming my privilege, I've always had thin privilege because there's never been a doctor that's told me I had to lose weight. You know, people's responses to me have been negative sometimes based on my body, but I'm, I've always been in a smaller body. So I just want to name that that's my privilege. And I don't know what it's like to be in a larger body. I can empathize and I want to fight for people who are to not be looked down upon by our society because it's completely fucked up. But I think when I first started out, I really thought that I would have to make myself smaller in order to have any type of success in this business, which is ridiculous. I mean, it's totally insane, but it is the truth and it's how I felt. And I think I got so tired of it and I got so tired of having my own disordered relationship with food and my body that it really started with me fixing my relationship with my with food and my body and then getting radicalized by how much I began to learn about how people in larger bodies are treated. And it's been huge because, um, you know, I, I don't wear makeup on the internet most of the time. I don't change my photos. And again, it's like, ugh, no one needs like a fucking pat on the back for like not <laughs> face tuning their photos. Like, I'm not trying to like make myself sound great because of that, but there is so much on the internet that isn't real and that is becoming so much more damaging for young girls and for women. And 
also there's issues in the body positivity movement as well, because a lot of the people that represent it are thin white women. And we need to expand body positivity to include everyone. And in fact, I think disproportionately give voice to those who are people of color or people in larger bodies who have been silenced for so long while thin white women take over. Like, I love my body. I love my roles. Like, you know what I mean? We need to to broaden that to more importantly include other people. Um, and I don't know if I'm making sense or if I got off on a rant. What was your question? Did I answer it? <laughs> it was, yeah, it was um, how you think that genders affected like your path and your career. Yeah. I mean, I've had little moments. Um, I've had a lot of moments that have been negative associated with my gender, but luckily I didn't have anything in this industry that was, you know, I got really lucky in that nobody, like a lot of people have used their power to do fucked up things to me, but it's not like I, you know, I I won't be coming out with a, a story about, you know, somebody sexually harassing me or assaulting me. And I've gotten really lucky that I began in this business at a time where these sorts of things were not okay anymore, you know? So I feel really, really appreciative of the people that have come before me that have named these things. But my gender, I mean, it's like such a loaded question, isn't it? It's hard to even know where to begin. It affects everything, (laughs) you know, everything. Do you feel like it affected your path to wanting to become an actor? I think it affected my sort of ability to be in this industry the way I wanted to be. Because as a woman and as a person who dealt with the sort of trials of being a woman my whole life, it took me a while to unpack that and realized that I didn't have to keep apologizing for being strong and that I needed to actually just take advantage of the fact that I was strong. And now my conversations with people are very different than they used to be. And it's made it so that I can get a lot further than I ever would have had I had the communication skills that I had learned from being a girl you know, constantly apologizing, constantly like apologizing for my emotions, never being exactly clear about what I wanted. Like those are the things I had to break down in order to be successful in this business. And as a businesswoman, because as an actor and as a producer and as, you know, a writer, you have to be your own business, you know, your own everything, CEO, everything, because you're the only one who your dreams actually really matter to. So the way I communicate had to be really fucking changed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, I mean, just quickly, like what, Yeah. how do you think gender affected your path? Because to me, you've been somebody who's always been able to articulate yourself easily and not, I'm, I'm inspired by how little you apologize for who you are and like what you want and what you want to do. It's a good question. I feel like I, I too felt pressures, especially from like a body perspective. And, you know, I was always really bad at sports. And so there was like, but it felt okay because sports were more of a boy thing. And I was liked the arts a lot. That felt like more of a, you know, there are like different ways that I think I fit into norms that, Mm -hmm. that felt okay because they were the norms and they fit. But in terms of 
like communicating and thinking about feeling really capable of doing whatever. It's because I just never thought for one second that there were any things that I couldn't do from a career perspective because I was a girl Mm -hmm. until after I graduated from school and entered the workforce, I just started to see things around me. Like, I think I was so privileged to almost think that like sexism was gone in the workplace Mm -hmm. before I entered it. I know that was wildly naive, but I just didn't really see it in terms of my opportunities. And then I got into work and saw all of these incredibly talented women around me who were in these cycles of sort of being torn down. I think that when someone is told that their work isn't that good, even though it is or it's not being appreciated as much as it should be, it starts the cycle where then they don't think that they're as capable and then the work isn't as good because they don't have the confidence. And then it's just this horrible pattern and path. It's never personally affected me that much. Like, I, I don't feel like I there were any opportunities that were held back for me because of gender. But it's something that I'm starting, I'm trying to think through. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, we're both lucky and having moms who had careers and dads who never held our moms back, you know? And so we we were born with this idea of like, you can do whatever you want. And we're both so lucky in that. And I think gender politics are more insidious than that. And they seep into deeper crevices of ourselves than we probably even realize. You get what I mean? A hundred percent. I actually think that's spot on. Like so much of it comes down to your parents or my parents. Yeah. I I was just always brought up thinking I could do whatever, exactly like you just said. But like, I actually feel it more now as an adult and I'm 26, soon to be 27. And all of a sudden I feel so much pressure about home family related things. Mm -hmm. Then I think that my boyfriend does, or I think I I don't want to speak for them, but like, I think I just feel things much differently than like my brother might or the the male friends that I see around me. I totally feel that. There's so many conversations that I have with women friends of mine who are all sort of like, this has never been my priority in terms of like my plan in the future. Right. But now I like, I'm starting to have to think about like, do I want to get married? If so, when? Do I want to have kids? Like the clock is ticking. All of these things that are, I think, drilled so deep into us. So I feel it much more now than I did ever before, I think. Yeah. Okay, cool. That was really, no, that was really interesting, though. I think we got somewhere there. I think we did, too. We've talked about politics and gender. And so the third big identity question that I have has to do with religion, it's another big topic that I think can affect the way that we think and the way that we grow up. So what is your relationship to religion and how has it affected you? I mean, the easy answer is I don't have any relationship with religion, honestly. Like, it's not something that has ever entered my mind aside for when people ask me about it. We didn't follow a certain religion growing up. I have many religions and religious leanings in my family. I have like family that's Buddhist. I have family that's Jewish. I have family that's Quaker. I have family, you know, Protestant. Like I have 
so many different things in my family that there was just not one religion that anybody grasped onto or taught us, my brother and I. And we're very like small unit, my mom, my dad, my brother and I, like I don't have a ton of influence from other people in my family aside from amazing relationships with them and we're super close. And But in something like religion, it's just not something that I ever think about. In meditation, I feel I'm somewhat spiritual, although like I'm talking about meditation, like I have the Headspace app and I like meditate for 10 minutes when I remember to. Like this is not like some (laughs) deep practice I have. Um, And I think I'm like different from my mom in that way. Like I don't, I don't necessarily think there's like a, a cosmic plan. I just yeah, I just don't have a relationship with it. It's strange. Maybe one day I will, but as of now, I don't. As an actor and producer and all of these different things, you're creating and consuming a lot of content. Mm -hmm. And so what's your favorite ever piece of content or like storytelling or one of your favorites? It doesn't have to be your favorite. It's so hard. I think kind of like combining a lot of the things that we talked about today. I'll say two things. There's this movie, it's with America Ferreira and it's called Real Women Have Curves. And I haven't seen it in years, so I don't know how it holds up. But as a young girl, I felt like that was a really important movie for me to see. And it focused on a different culture, a different religion, completely from my own. And it kind of really dove into body politics, which is a huge part of my life now. So I really want to just like give that movie a shout out because it meant a lot to me. And I think The Wire as well was something that I thought was a almost perfect piece of content because it delved so deeply into a system that's in place. Um, And it also kind of has affected my relationship with the criminal justice system and how I feel about it and all the work I do there in that world. So I think those are two pieces of material that changed me. I hope that's okay. Those I don't know about, there's a lot of fantastic. other stuff I love. Those are fantastic okay. answers. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Thanks for listening to the very first episode of Web of Women. Next week, stay tuned for the start of the second mini web. For the month of February, it's all about that first link. Then March will be all about link number two, and April that next step beyond. Next week, I'll be chatting with a friend of mine from a very different part of my life, the post-college work world. Growing up, I, uh, when I was in China, I always knew that I was coming to America. Like That was a concept that I knew from very little. Like I would go to school and I would play, you know, piano, and people would say, oh, you should come to this school or you should join this elementary school, and I would say, no, no, you don't understand. I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be going to America. And one of my earliest memories of what I thought America was, was I actually dreamt that it would be like the Jetsons. For the next link in Sosie's web, she went with someone close to home, her mom, Kira Sedgwick. I'm Sosie Bacon, and I'm talking to my mom, Kira Sedgwick. <laughs> <laughs> you are mom. A mother. A mother. <laughs> I'm, a, um, I'm an actor and a director and a producer. 
Stay tuned for episode number five to hear their conversation about politics, gender, religion, and identity. I'm so excited to be embarking on this experiment with you to test out this new kind of podcast. Please let me know what you think. If you have any questions or feedback, or if you want to start a web of your own, please email me at web at wondermedianetwork.com. You can also find WMN on Instagram at WMN.media and on Twitter at WMN Media. This episode is produced by me, Jenny Kaplan, with help from Allie Lindenberg, Shira Atkins, and Ben Brower. A huge thanks to the Overcoats for music and to the women of these webs for making this show possible. Talk to you next week. human rights attorney, feminist, and host of a brand new podcast from Wonder Media Network called Ordinary Equality. On Ordinary Equality, we're telling the story of the birth, death, and recent resurrection of the Equal Rights Amendment. Section 1, Equality of Rights Under the Law. Shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. So check it out and subscribe to Ordinary Equality wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>